progressive ideas, conversations from schools, and the newest concepts in education. This is the School Leadership Podcast. Firstly, thank you for choosing the School Leadership Podcast with NAHT and NAHT Edge. One of the unavoidable effects of the pandemic has meant we've been forced to to almost renegotiate our relationship with outdoor spaces. For leaders, it's meant careful management of school grounds. And for some children outside of school, lockdowns have resulted in this new dynamic in which access to the great outdoors has either been severely limited or denied altogether. Outdoor education centres have always stood for positive health and well-being and have this innate ability to improve the lives of children. Covid's bite has meant their world being turned upside down. James Bowen is about to meet Jim Whitaker, who's chair at the Association of Heads of Outdoor Education Centres. In a sector that's so accustomed to interactivity, innovative events outside, and a message of health and well-being for all, just how have they managed? To set up the structure of the association and precisely where Jim fits into it, let's cross to Jim. I'm the chair of the Association of Heads of Outdoor Education Centres, which is a branch of the NAHT uh, and is a professional membership organisation for those that are involved in uh, strategic uh, outdoor learning. So heads of centres, deputy heads of of centres and so on, right across all types of um, outdoor education provision. Uh, so that's uh, that's my role. Uh, personally, I've always been uh, an, an outdoors person, if there is such a thing. Uh, my argument is everybody is. Um, but I, I suppose I really got hooked on the power of outdoor learning for, for children and young people at, um, uh, at a centre in the north of England, Castleshaw Centre, which is one of Oldham's centres. I worked there as a, as a young instructor some 30 years ago now and was absolutely uh, enchanted with the the way that outdoor learning changes the lives of of those young people who are coming in that case only from a town down the road um but uh, but that week was a unique and pivotal moment in their education and, and i was really struck with that and i've been involved ever since uh, i'm a qualified teacher i've worked in various roles in leadership in schools and uh, in the outdoor sector and um and yeah that's why i'm here and i'm sure many people who are listening would already be kind of big fans of outdoor learning you know i, I know huge numbers of schools already uh, you know, certainly pre-covid were fully engaged in it in case there's there is anybody who's not a convert just tell me what it is you think that that pupils get from outdoor learning experiences and and particularly residentials i guess that that perhaps they can't get through their their usual school experience well we believe that that all human beings but particularly children are naturally tuned in to um, to being an outdoor citizen, uh, it's 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 hardwired into us. Uh, you, you know, there's masses of evidence to show that human beings are happier, um, more content, mentally and socially more healthy, uh, and physically better off with a regular uh, diet of um, of outdoor activity in their lives. Um, you know, whether that's structured outdoor activity or not, um, the power of a focused and structured outdoor learning uh, intervention for young people has been known for an, a long time, for decades. And we've got a big history of that in this country, you know, since Victorian times or before. And um, I guess when leisure started taking, uh, uh, you know, an industry started taking the outdoors out of our, our normal lives, we had to naturally replace it in a structured way. But it's residential outdoor centres 
that have uh, been a, a crucial part of our education system for decades and they're at the core of of what we now call outdoor learning um the uh, ex-commissioner for uh, schools tim brighouse uh, was quoted once as saying that a, a one-week residential um for some children is worth a, a term in school um now that's a very powerful thing for uh, an individual like that to say and a very well respected academic but what he means by that is that for some children the structure uh, and the social uh, opportunities afforded by an outdoor residential uh, and the different approach to learning the different relationships afforded by that experience with teachers uh, and other staff at the school is absolutely unique and it re-engages young people with a sense of personal development and learning that they then take back to school so you know, for us, that's the um, that's the, the the real compelling piece about residential outdoor, outdoor learning. And we've been talking now for five minutes, and I think I've managed to avoid saying COVID so far, but I can't avoid it any longer. I mean, obviously, the current situation has affected everybody across the education sector. But I know, having spoken to you, it really has hit outdoor education centres particularly mm. hard. I wonder if you could just sort of talk about the current situation and, and why it has had such an impact. Yeah, thanks. Well, uh, everybody who hears this podcast will be aware that the, the current Department for Education guidance um, to schools is that they shouldn't undertake any overnight visits. And of course, that removes all business from a residential outdoor centre. Um, and whilst day visits are allowed, um, many outdoor centres just aren't equipped. Um, you know, they're, they're very remote. Uh, most of the um, facility is, is accommodation based. Uh, they may not be equipped to send instructors on an outreach basis into schools and so on. So it's had a, a massive, devastating impact. Essentially, we talk in terms of the sector being closed. Um, although, of course, it's, it's not closed as such, but our customers, of course, in the shape of schools are being told that they can't, can't come. So this, this is a, a £700 million sector, um, but more to the point, it provides £2 million residential visits for children uh, every year. You know, 95% of primary schools undertake a residential uh, outdoor education trip each year. And, and none of that is happening. And when we get to April next year, of course, that, that's a whole year. That's 2 million visits that won't have taken place. Um, and almost every primary school residential that not taking place. So it's, it's huge. Um, in terms of jobs, there are 15,000 or so uh, employed in our sector. We've, we've lost uh, five to 6,000 of those jobs already. Um, now, if we were able to operate again in March, some of those would come back on a seasonal basis. But if we can't open again in March, uh, we're looking at a permanent loss of about half the provision in our world, much of which has been around for decades. As many of your members will know, you're working with outdoor centres, the, the relationships that, that have uh, been in place for, for many years. And, and those centres will simply cease to exist uh, and the staff will, will be lost uh, and the skills that go with them will be lost and it's not easily re replaced. Um, so it, it's, it's a desperate situation uh, for our sector. No two ways about it. And so you, you said there about, I think around 50% potentially being lost. I mean, so we are, are we, we, we are seriously talking about the potential for these outdoor education centres just to not exist anymore for, for residential trips, certainly in the, the short to medium term to not be an option because the centres literally close their doors and don't reopen it. Is that how sort of perilous the situation has got? 
Absolutely. Unfortunately, now there are dozens of examples amongst our membership uh, and uh, and and the, the wider sector of centres being closed permanently and sold. Uh, you know, there are outdoor centres on the market uh, right now as properties, uh, and uh, that's how permanent this is. They won't be bought by anybody who's going to open an outdoor centre in them. Um, so that provision will be gone forever. And. There are notable examples, um, uh, you know, we're talking about the places that thousands and thousands of children who in many cases are now adults have been to um, in the past as part of their schooling uh, simply gone already. Uh, and by March next year, yeah, that'll be about half of our, our world. And has there been any support at all from government so far, Jim? Have you, have you had anything in the way of financial or, or any other type of support coming through? Well, we've been fortunate, uh, as everybody uh, has, as every business in the UK has, that there's been a furlough scheme. Um, but on top of the furlough scheme, there hasn't been any specific support for our sector at all. Um, the Department for Education uh, were keen to uh, engage with us to understand the issue. But as yet, uh, the guidance hasn't changed. Uh, we're on our second review now. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're hoping that the support we're asking for will be forthcoming but you know this isn't an expensive solution for the government which is one of the reasons why we're very keen to uh, to encourage the department to take it seriously you know we're not asking directly for a rescue package in financial terms that, that will come um what we're asking for today is just being able to operate again uh, with schools uh, and uh, and help help ourselves out of this um this situation so no apart from the furlough scheme there's, there's not been any financial support from the government so in terms of what you need the government to do now, you've, you've sort of mentioned a little bit there. Is it is it really a case of um, just, you know, you want to see residential centres reopened and, and the option for schools to start using them again? Is there a time scale on that? What, what are you hoping the government might do as a result of this upcoming review? Well, we're hoping, first of all, that um, that they look at the, the points that Public Health England uh, have cited as, as being the reasons uh, that they believe outdoor centre operation isn't safe. We would first of all like to to see that entirely reviewed and based on actual evidence. Um, the Public Health England have cited uh, increased social interaction of groups outside of their established bubbles, for example, that, that wouldn't happen. They've uh, cited increased contact time with others in an indoor setting. Um, these are outdoor activity centres. Um, we can't see the basis for that. Um, sharing bedroom facilities. We'd argue that they're sharing bedroom facilities in the same way they're sharing classroom facilities during the day. Um, the, the bubble structure would remain. Uh, sharing accommodation and close living arrangements. Again, that really mirrors what happens in the school day, um, but without the transport at the beginning and the end of the day and all the social bubble breakage that that causes. So we'd like to see that point addressed. Uh, an increased travel across the country. We'd like to unpack that a little. Um, most of these outdoor centres aren't uh, such a distance away that travelling there on a Monday and travelling back on a Friday presents any more travel than going to and from school each day. Uh, and, and a lot of the anecdotal evidence that, that we've seen is that actually more risk is presented to children by day-to-day -day travel rather than um, being at an outdoor centre for a week and not travelling anyway during that time. So um, what we want from the government is a close inspection of, of those points by Public Health England and some genuinely scientifically based advice to the department uh, that can 
go alongside our own uh, COVID safe practices and uh, procedures and, and see a reopening of, um, of these outdoor centres. We recognise that an immediate opening um, isn't necessarily realistic um, for a whole host of reasons, not least the fact that we're currently in a national lockdown. But what we're urging the department for and the Secretary of State is a roadmap so that providers can confidently plan um, and work with school leaders to, um, uh, to engage uh, with provision starting in the new year, uh, with a view to centres operating uh, as normally as possible uh, from, from March next year in the, in the main season. Um, so that's, that's what we're hoping for. And when we get to that point where you know, residential visits become an option again, do you think there's going to be a, a task uh, in terms of rebuild, rebuilding people's confidence, if you like? I'm, I'm thinking here the confidence of parents to send their, their children away for a week, confidence of schools to re-engage with residential trips. I guess, you know, the reality is everybody's anxious and, and nervous at the moment for, for very understandable reasons. And I wonder how much of a task you think that will be in terms of building everybody's confidence back up to, to sort of start residential trips again. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. Um, I mean, as you say, there'll be a great range of, of parental opinion on this, you know, from uh, the fabulous, absolutely, let's go for it. We understand how, how safe that is compared to a, a normal school day, uh, right through to, you know, the natural concerns that parents have about the normal school day as it is, never mind adding uh, uh, the potential unknown of a residential trip there. But again, that's why we're looking to the department to, to raise the value of outdoor learning and explain to, uh, to parents through school leaders how, how vital uh, and important these experiences are. You know, we're looking at a, a burgeoning mental health crisis, uh, you know, for, for all children, particularly, uh, particularly young people. Um, and uh, the outdoor education world has got a great deal to, to do in that respect and, and to contribute to uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a bit more in the future but in terms of reassuring parents um, the department's got a, a role to play not least in saying to school leaders uh, NAHT members uh, and so on uh, look you work directly with providers as you always have done um, establish safe working practices with providers establish a curricular and extracurricular provision for the children and young people in your care appropriate to to what's needed um, and talk to parents and communities on on the basis of that you know many of the relationships between schools and outdoor centers that we're talking about here are well intact parents parents know and understand the outdoor center that their local school uses they're probably in a position where they're expecting a residential in year three or year four or, or year nine or year 10 or whatever it is. And they already understand there, it's likely that there are siblings of, of prospective visitors who have already been to those outdoor centers. So in many cases, we're, we're not talking about introducing something new to parents. All we're doing is saying that we're open for business. And this is why this is a very safe and high quality uh, um, piece of education for, for your children to be doing. And you mentioned there the kind of the long term, and I suppose that's that'd be a nice place to finish, really. I mean, how much of a role do you think outdoor education centres can have in, I, I, perhaps we call it the recovery, we call it rebuilding, whatever, whatever sort of phrase we're going to use. But that sort of part, as and when we come out of the pandemic, and let's hope it's sooner rather than later, uh, mm. do education centres have a real role to play in terms of that, that recovery process, do you think? 
Yeah, we believe they do. Um, you know, structured outdoor learning and residential stays uh, have been shown in numerous studies over the decades to, to be of immense value to young people, not least in um, combating uh, a, a problem that's come to the fore during lockdown, which is nature deficit disorder. Young people missing out on outdoor time uh, is proving to, to be a very serious uh, issue. Um, outdoor centres can, uh, in their delivery, encourage safe social practice. Um, that's never been more important than it is now. Um, outdoor centres provide positive mental health uh, behaviours. They uh, encourage natural social mixing, uh, natural constructive uh, human interaction uh, in an outdoor setting, um, and that's never been needed more. Um, the, the alternative learning opportunities and the structured curricular and extracurricular delivery that outdoor centres make turn young people onto learning. Um, reference again, Tim Brighouse's comment, you know, young people are engaged and enthused by learning when they meet to an outdoor centre. It takes it out of the classroom and makes it about them. Um, never before have we needed that more. Um, outdoor residentials engage school staff in very useful professional development. They can take the skills uh, and activities that they've picked up at a residential stay back to school and continue that outdoor learning uh, in school. And, uh, uh, and that's shown to be extremely powerful. Um, outdoor learning, particularly in the core outdoor education centres that, that we run, uh, addresses disadvantage. Uh, we've seen during lockdown that many young people have been able to access um, meaningful outdoor activities and the benefits they provide, but many haven't. And this is drawn a stark focus on the disadvantage gap uh, and outdoor education centres working with the schools where the children come from can, can do, go a long way to addressing that. Um, so there are a huge number of benefits that the sector can provide in uh, as we recover from uh, coronavirus and yeah we're very keen to um, to reopen and, um, and start having those conversations with school leaders again. Jim, thank you so much uh, for joining us on the podcast. I wish you and the rest of the sector the very best of luck and hopefully you get some good news soon. Yeah, many thanks. Thanks very much, James. Jim Whitaker was talking to James Bowen. And that is it for this month's episode. To make sure that you receive all future podcasts from NAHT and NAHT Edge, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're using an Android device, there is, of course, Spotify. And the School Leadership Podcast is also available on Google Podcasts and plenty of other podcatchers. And one of the most important things is to get your feedback. If you're able to take some time to leave a quick review for us online, it will be very much appreciated. NAHT is a professional association and union for school leaders. NAHT Edge is the part of our association aimed specifically at aspirational middle leaders. To discover more about the benefits of being an NAHT Edge or NAHT member, go online to nahtedge.org.uk forward slash join or www.naht.org.uk forward slash join. You can follow us on social media. Our Twitter handles are at NAHT Edge and at NAHT News. Take extremely good care of yourself. We'll speak next month. From NAHT and NAHT Edge, the School Leadership Podcast.